P-S-N-Y. This is a very, very special 50th episode of the Bleacher Creatures podcast presented by Elite Sports New York. As always, brought to you by Rivercrest NYC, which is still closed, FYI, uh, Crossing Broad, Warwick Gaming, and now Social Distancing. Okay, and, and I think we we're have, doing a good job. Yes, we're doing a great job. And we have with us Rachel Balkovic, the hey Yankees minor league hitting coach. One of the Yankees Marley hitting coaches, just to be correct. But yeah, this is, wow, 50th episode. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah, I, I didn't expect us to get to 50, to be honest. We started this a year ago. Uh, Allison wasn't even with me then. But <laughs> James, wow. of course we were going to get to 50. Come on. Yeah, low expectations already. Yeah, well, we, hey, we made it here. And we're having a great interview here. Uh, we've already had some nice pleasant conversation learned a lot about a lot of things that i didn't think i was going to learn about already great all right allison you want to kick us off here absolutely well first of all we kind of almost already covered it a little bit but obviously with uh the quarantine kind of uh you know making baseball putting it on the back burner for the time being what are you doing tell us i mean you're lucky right now yeah i'm uh i'm in florida so that you know, that is definitely an added privilege or advantage. Um, I'm quarantined in paradise, but even like, I'm really good at downtime. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a busy person. I'm reading, writing, making phone calls, connecting with people, working out. Um, I, I mean, I fill the time really easily and I, I just, my creative juices are flowing and I have my own podcast that I've recorded five episodes for and just, you know, us on top of connecting with our players that are home and, and watching video and, and really having a chance to sit down and literally watch a player's video of all last season, just hours and hours of their video. So um, I have no problem with downtime. I don't know. People say they get anxious and don't know what to do. I, I know what to do. <laughs> Good for you. Cause I get super anxious with downtime. <laughs> this whole yeah, thing. I'm burning been crazy. a deep hole in Netflix. <laughs> I know yeah. I tweeted some like baseball thing the other day and people were like oh my gosh you know five or six likes and then I tweeted I was like should I watch Ozark and I got like 250 likes and I'm like okay this is it is what yeah. it is it's what's on people's minds but I don't own it well I do own a tv here that I'm renting at a an apartment but I have not owned a tv since 2013 and I, I'll watch a documentary here and there but realistically I just especially in nice weather I just want to be outside and um you know I have tons of writing and reading that I cannot ever catch up on so that's my that's my game right now that's uh, so much more productive than me I've just been sitting in, in my apartment in Harlem, just listening to all the fire trucks and police cars go by. And I was like, that's the closest I'm getting to outside today. That's oh. it. I can hear them through my window. I don't envy you, you guys up north right now. <laughs> yeah, it's not even nice weather out. It's been cold and rainy all week. I can't even get out and stretch my legs a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So we also, I mean, obviously this is for everyone out there. Um, you know, tell us a little bit more about your journey into professional baseball. You know, when did you realize this was something that you really wanted to do? Oh, um, (laughs) that's a loaded opening question. It's it's a multifaceted question here. The five minute answer or the 30 minute answer. Um, I would say like sports was definitely going to happen for me. I mean, I played, um, division one college softball and, um, I, I always like to say I had a pretty lackluster career in Division One softball, but still, um, it was always my bones. I never not did not be around athletics, and I still like I still train like an athlete. I enjoy going to the park every day. It's just my type of environment, um, working with a team, and so sports was always there. Baseball came around. I now tell this story. I never used to tell this because it was I was either embarrassed or I didn't want people to know why, but. When I was playing college softball, I was dating a baseball player um, at the same university, and we did it for two years there, five years in total, but after his senior season, he was drafted and played minor league baseball for the Dodgers. And meanwhile, as he started to be a minor league ball player, I was getting my master's degree, and I was working at LSU as a strength and conditioning coach, and I just, my eyes were opened to what minor league baseball is, because even even as a college softball player, I had no idea about the extensive minor league system in Latin America and fall league and winter ball and instructs and what all these things meant. And so, and he was a bit of a prospect when he first got there too. So he just flew through the levels and I got to see the bus rides and the whatever. And I flew to Midland, Michigan to visit him in Ogden and these places that you don't go to unless you know about a minor league ballpark there. So I had this really strange secondhand experience where I was just getting all of this what I thought to be useless trivia about minor league baseball at the time, but I was so fascinated by the business side of things in professional baseball. And so as you know, alongside that, I was, you know, burgeoning my own career in strength and conditioning and um, LSU isn't a bad athletic school, go Tigers. And I had done an internship at Arizona state an internship with Exos or athletes performance. I had this really great young resume. And I just was like, you know, I think I want to get into professional baseball after learning all of this about the minor leagues. I've always been drawn to the minor leagues, the younger players, the Latin American players, their journeys just amaze me. So that's what I was really drawn to. And being a college softball player, it was second nature. You know, I've thrown a couple of balls in my life and I've swung a bat a couple thousand times, probably a couple 10,000 times. So so yeah, that's kind of where it was born out of. That's how it started. Do you want me to keep and now, going? And now you're here. And yeah, now you're, you're here. good. You're good. We're about to we're about to go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. So <laughs> seven years later, I'm a minor league hitting coach for the Yankees. It was that easy. Um, I can keep going down the road a bit to tell you like how I was actually hired because that was a bit of a tumultuous time, but. Um, when I was at LSU, the easiest part about getting into baseball was I got an internship with the Cardinals um, right after I graduated, almost right after I graduated. Um, the St. Louis Cardinals called LSU. They had a connection there and said, hey, do you have anyone that would want to get into minor league baseball? And the head strength coach said, yeah, we we do. Um, they work with baseball and softball. They were a college catcher. Oh, and by the way, uh, she's a she. Is that a problem? <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, at the time to paint a picture for the listeners, I had no, I was so naive. I wanted to get into professional baseball and I was like Googling, you know, there's a job forum for the, for professional baseball jobs. And I was like, 
Googling jobs and all of the jobs that were open, the emails were all to men. All of the articles on this website, all written by men, men everywhere, zero women. And I was like, what is going on here? So I walked into my boss's office at the time, who's still there, Melissa Moore. And I said, Melissa, do you know that there are no women like strength coaches in professional baseball? This just blew my mind. I was just like shocked. I was like, dude, did you know this? And she just looked at me like, duh, like, yeah, I know. There's no women's strength coaches in all of professional sports, not just baseball. And I just was shocked because to that point, you know, I had work, work hard. You get a job, collegiate sports, right? There's females everywhere. There's women coaches, there's female athletes. It's just a thing. And I just, it had not even occurred to me. So huge, huge, huge at the Cardinals took a leave of faith and gave me an internship, um, which was just a part-time position for four months ish. Uh, with one of their rookie league teams, which I loved. But at the end of the season, it's kind of like, okay, great job. We'll call you in six months if we have another spot. You know, like you did a good job, but in the off season, we're not going to pay you. So that's changed quite a bit too um, in that field where they're all full-time coaches now. But so I kind of like floundered around. I ended up moving to Phoenix. And as you guys know, there's 15 teams based in Phoenix. And I just thought, I moved to Phoenix to start a PhD and I was doing some pre prerequisite classes. This was January, December. And I just thought, great, I'm in Phoenix. There's all these jobs, you know, I, like I'll apply for all the posted jobs. There was 10 open jobs. I applied for all of them, of course, and I got nothing back. And I was still pretty naive. And I thought, wow, these jobs are just really competitive. And I had a master's degree and two years of coaching at LSU and internship with the Cardinals. I had moved to the Dominican Republic for three months and worked for Los Tigres de Luce, which is a winter ball team. Like I had done all of this stuff. I had a really great resume for a young person and just got nothing, nothing back. Finally, halfway through spring training, I think it was, got a phone call from an organization that they wanted to interview me. I went in, I interviewed two times with the guy. He basically was like, you got the job. You're our girl. Like I'll call you in a couple days never heard from him. And I was like, well, that's weird. Still naive. I was still naive at this point. I'm like, this is weird. I follow up. I even called the guy, no response. Finally, three weeks later, he called and he just broke the news that he couldn't hire me. And it was because I was a woman. And I just thought I was shocked. But I was shocked for two reasons. I thought, wait, I've already worked for the Cardinals. Number one. Number two, you said you were going to hire me. What happened? You know, and he said, well, I want to hire you. I'm very, he was calling to apologize. He was like, I just want to be honest, let you know what you're up against. I wanted to hire you. The administration said that we can't, that's clearly illegal. I obviously did not take legal action. However, I just was actually grateful. I said, well, gosh, thanks. And he was like, well, hang on just one second. It gets worse. And I was like, what? <laughs> How could this get worse? You know? So then he said, he said, well, I called around because there's a lot of other teams that have open jobs and they all said the same thing. They had gotten your resume and they, they can't hire a woman at, the, at this time. So I think that's when I really just realized that, you know, it was going to, it was going to be an uphill battle. So I'll, I'll make this story shorter than it is, but long story short, I sat that year out of baseball. I waitressed, I worked at Lululemon. I ended up getting a phone call to work for the Chicago White Sox in the fall league for 30 bucks a day, driving 45 minutes across Phoenix one way. I, and I, I mean, I stayed there all day to, for 30 bucks, even though they, they had told me it was only two hours. And 
they told me I didn't have to stay, but I was so desperate. I ended up that time around changing my name on my resume. This is a this is a popular story by now. I uh, was so desperate. The White Sox didn't have a full time position for next season. They just basically were like, "Hey, they again were apologetic. They're like, we're sorry. This is all we have to offer. It's thirty dollars a day, but we just need somebody basically to babysit our fall league players." Of course, I accepted. I did that, and then I just was so in dire straits that I changed my name on my resume thinking that if I could just get someone on the phone and have a good conversation with them, they might be open-minded, which is by the way, idiotic logic, but I just was not, you know, it was like anything, anything. So I changed my name to Ray R A E and it worked. I got phone call. I got a phone call right away. I got email responses within like less than 24 hours. Cause my resume was great at that point. I had fully winter ball, uh, rookie league with the Cardinals. I spoke some Spanish, LSU. I had this excellent young resume. So I got these responses right away. I got a phone call. It was a very awkward phone call. He asked for Ray and I said, this is she. And he stumbled over his words. He's basically, I never got a call back after that. And I, I think that's a good learning. It was a great learning lesson for me, but it was, it's a good learning lesson for anyone. It's like, I just had to swallow the pill of like well I guess you know if they don't want to hire me because I'm a woman that's probably just not a human being that I want to work for but again I was desperate so I did it and I'm glad I did because it it really gave me some hope that like I was doing the right things I was working my hard work was paying off kind of um, but not in the way that I wanted it to I just knew that people were looking at my resume and it was a good resume and that's really all it took for me to like keep going because I was like okay something's got to give because I have a good enough resume to get callbacks. So that off season got late in the off season. It was like January, which you guys know, like jobs are filled by January. So I get a phone call from the St. Louis Cardinals, major league strength coach. And I was so shocked. I like looked at the phone. I'll never forget this. I was with my best friend, looked at the phone and I saw his name and I was like, I was like, what's this guy calling me for? I thought I, I didn't even meet him when I did my internship. So I answer the phone. He's like, hey, Rachel, uh, our coordinator has moved on, and he recommended you for the um, minor league strength and conditioning coordinator position. Are you interested? And I, I'm just – I literally pulled the phone away from my face to make sure no one was, like, fucking with me. I was like, is this the person? So to give, again, like, the listeners who may not understand, like, I couldn't even – I was having trouble getting a paid internship position, like a seasonal position – and the St. Louis Cardinals called me back and wanted me to oversee 250 players, 10 male coaches, by the way, fly all over the country to their affiliates and assist the major league strength coach with what, whatever he needed as well. Like a, a minor league coordinator is easily one of the most difficult jobs in the entire organization. So <laughs> imagine my surprise. So as the story would have it, I became the coordinator. I was there for two years. I was with the Astros then after that for three seasons, two as the Latin American coordinator, one in double A. And then I uh, quit my job with them, went back to school for a second master's degree in Europe, um, biomechanics and statistics. I did my research at driveline baseball. Some people might know, some people don't, but they're one of the best in the world at what they do. I love driveline. Okay. All all the stuff they put out is awesome. Yeah. Baseball listeners know. Um, so driveline baseball, I did my research there for six months. And while I was there, I was hired by the Yankees uh, to be a minor league hitting coach. So there's and the here we are. <laughs> and here we are. 
in quarantine. I will say that that rabbit hole is a lot more productive than our usual ones. Uh, I think the last one we went on was whether or not we put spoons under our pillows when we were kids trying to will a snow day into existence. I think that's the last one we went on. <laughs> I grew up in Nebraska and I never did that, just for the record. Oh, well, hmm. <laughs> well you're missing like, out. It must that's be a New York tradition. thing. Yeah, it always <laughs> worked. <laughs> I think if you're just in a snowy state, you do that and it happened no matter what. So yeah, that might be fair. But true. Yeah. All right. So we're with the Yankees now. Um, what are what are you gonna be doing for them hitting coach wise? I read somewhere you're gonna be working with rookie ball, maybe the Dominican uh players at their facilities. Like what exactly is your role gonna be? Yeah, I'm with our youngest players, so I'll be in the GCL in Tampa, and then I think back and forth to the Dominican. And, I mean, again, for people who, like, don't know, that's, like, where guys go that are just first signed or maybe they're a year into their career. They Mm -hmm. have played a year in the Dominican Republic. They're coming over to Tampa. So it's with our youngest guys, and that's honestly just – it's my favorite group of players to work with, so I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, we actually um, we had a rookie ball pitcher on a couple times this year, uh, Zach Cohn, if you know him. Oh, but, great! Um, I don't yeah. know, just know the name, but that's awesome. Yeah, he was he was great, um, and he gave us a pretty good laydown of of what rookie ball was like his first year in the system. <laughs> yeah, it's a. I think it's an adjustment for just about everyone, whether that's the Latin players coming over to the United States or the college players. Some of them are. You know, some of them are coming fresh off of the College World Series and then they go to rookie ball and it's like they have better facilities and better fans and more fans in college than they did in these smaller leagues and and professional baseball. So it's quite an adjustment. Um, Playing every day is an adjustment. So it's just it's a fun time. And that's part of why I love it so much is because it's like a time of like massive growth mentally and physically for them, but like just this massive adaptation and a change in perspective and, and just being away from home, some of them. And so, I mean, it's, it's a really fun time to be able to coach them. That's probably crazy right now too, with everything going on in the world right now. Like there isn't even really rookie ball right now. There's just, there's no baseball. Yeah. It's a little tough. Like, um, just trying to coach them through it mentally and like even, even little things, you know, if they sit around like they're athletes, right? So they just like, they have this really regimented schedule every day. Like they show up and then they're doing this and then they're doing this. And they're like, it's just kind of like their days go on. And then all of a sudden that came to a screeching halt. So like a lot of them don't know what to do with themselves. And they're just, as you said, burning a hole through Netflix and not really moving their body. And so I've just told guys like, Hey, wake up and go work out, like work out twice a day, just so you like break up the day. Cause I mean, I've got, me as a 32 year old, I've got books I want to read. I've got writing I have to do. I've got calls and networking and whatever. But like myself as a 19 year old, I don't know what I would have done if I just all of a sudden didn't have a season. So just like, again, coaching, coaching them through that mentally. I think a lot of these younger guys who don't, don't have their own families too, like they're going home and, you know, it's like their mom and their brother and maybe their dad and, and like, they're all just sitting around kind of wasting away. So just encouraging them to create a routine and 
move their body as much as they can to move their mind, you know, to like, you know how it feels when you just like sit around all day. You don't feel like getting up and being active after that. So oh, yeah, I'm, I'm literally <laughs> living that right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's the, also the strength coach in me. Remember, like I was a strength coach first. So, I mean, my day literally is just like, okay, I'm going to work out twice a day. It's not as like militaristic as it sounds. It's more so like I'm going to give myself a break from just like being inside and staring at my computer screen. And then it gives me more energy throughout the day. I just feel better. I feel I can sleep better. You know, I can sleep better because I'm tired. And and as we all know, like moving, just moving the blood through your body, even if it is raining and cold, like expose yourself to the elements. Like you're not going to die. Well, I mean, actually, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> you're not going to die if you don't come in close contact with somebody else that has coronavirus. But like, okay, it's rainy and cold. Like realistically, you're probably going to be able to, after a 30 minute run, go right back into your warm home and take a shower. Like just get outside and move and break up your day, increase your energy, increase your mind function. I just think that's vital. And that's part of what, you know, me personally, that's part of what I'm trying to, to give our kids the idea of. And, and a few of them have gone, oh, I, I never thought of that. So I just know they for the past two weeks, they've been like, sleeping for 20 hours a day you know so we've all turned into house cats basically I'm perfectly okay with that though <laughs> for the time being for the time being I can't do it for more than a week so yeah it's uh I mean I think everyone the first couple of days me too I was like oh like we had already been kind of in spring training we had a, a mini camp prior to with like 50 hitters so we had already been going for like a month or so and then you know, the first couple of days I was like, freedom, I'm like, oh, I just lay around, kind of just, my place is a mess. And then pretty quickly though, I was like, okay, Rachel, like this, you have to settle into like normalcy of a routine and, and create habits, create new habits within this new reality. And that's something I think about a lot, but I've also, this is something that I'll say, if, it, if it's one thing I'll say I'm good at, it's being alone and having downtime because baseball has an off season every year. So, you know, I, I essentially have these blocks of time almost every year. So I'm, I'm good with it. I got a lot of stuff to do. I can't say the same for us this off season. This was definitely one of, one of our craziest off seasons with uh, <laughs> everything going on with the Astros and how that affected the Yankees and yeah, kind of our, our role that we played in it a little bit, but <laughs> Right. It's just it's been a little bit out of control. So now is the real downtime where I can't I couldn't even write something if I wanted to right now. There's nothing left. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a good like I didn't have an off season because I was working at driveline until January, whatever. And then I basically drove across the country and showed up at the Yankees complex Monday. So, um, I mean, I didn't really have an off season per se this year. But in the years past, I usually do quite a bit of traveling like I try to put myself out of a routine in the off season. And so these two months I'm like, well, great. I'm going to basically do the same thing. And, you know, on top of that, just like, this is, I think globally, if we look at this from a 10,000 foot perspective, then you guys, can you hear that in the background? No, not really. No, there's like literally a man leaf blowing leaves. So you're going to have to maybe edit this later. There are leaves That's out fine. there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, as long as you can't hear it, I'll keep going. No, we're good. All right, so, yeah, the, just like from, if we look at this from a 10,000-foot view, like, we're basically all forced to stay at home 
hang out with their family, figure out what to do with downtime, which hopefully, you know, hopefully once you burn a hole through Netflix, you're going to go, wait a second, what was that book I was going to read? You know, you might like, we all go to our like natural escape, our most easy escape first, which for you sounds like Netflix. Some people it's like, oh, I'm going to be drinking all the time. Or, oh, I'm, you know, it's like some people go to their natural escape. But then once we like dig through those layers, you're going to get to something that's productive, I believe. Because you're going to be so bored with that, with Netflix at some point that you're like, okay, there was that book that I wanted to read. Or, you know what, I should really call my mom. Or, you know what, I should really work out. And even though I, it's cold in New York, and I don't have anything to do. I'm just going to do it in my apartment. And it's something to do every day. I think we really are all long-term going to benefit from this. It's teaching us all a really hard lesson of what the hell do we do when we don't have our jobs? You know, who are we when we don't have our jobs? Who am I when I don't have a logo on my chest? I'm good with that because I've been forced out of sports before. I've been forced to not have that identity. But there are plenty of athletes right now who are thrust out of their jerseys and they don't even know who they are without their sport. So it's forcing us into answering some hard questions about our lifestyle and our thought process. I never thought about it that way. That's a really good perspective. How's that rabbit yeah, hole? I, I, def I definitely only thought about, I don't know, what am I going to watch when I'm finished with Parks and Rec for the eighth time? <laughs> Parks and Rec again. That's the only answer. Obviously. There's nothing else. Just Parks and Rec. You guys I like will say, though interview Rachel Balkovec. This is a bad decision. <laughs> no, this is this is awesome. We uh we we've had a couple last week we had our buddy Keith McPherson on and we've been trying to get some more people now that that baseball is kind of on a hiatus. We have the opportunity to do some interesting stuff like this where we don't really have baseball news to talk about. So let's talk about the people in baseball and talk to them and you know hear their stories, hear where they're planning on going next all the cool places they've traveled to. Mm -hmm. Or we could sit here for an hour and, you know, discuss uh, spoons under the pillow or, you know, things like conspiracy theories for baseball. We've done that too. So this is yeah. much better, I think. Great. Yeah. Well, I think you guys are on the right track of, and I spoke to another woman in um, sports broadcasting and she was like more or less asking for ideas and I was like, why don't you start interviewing the players and tell their stories? Because we all, all want to talk about the game. But I think, you know, in interest of improving the direction that baseball is headed with fans, like they need to know these guys. And even the minor league players, some of these guys have fantastic stories of how they've gotten to where they are and just these up and downs. And they're real journeymen. And I think they have lots of them not just a couple but like many of them have interesting stories just by nature of the fact that they don't get paid a lot they don't get paid in the off season and they just got to figure it out so they're like working all these crazy jobs and these guys who are like you know 30th rounders that are in double a like how did you make it there and how did you beat the odds and who are who are your influences and how are you so resilient i think it's i think it's a great time to start digging into the people that are on the field and seeing what their stories are, because a lot of them and us, I'll include myself, have like phenomenal stories to tell. And I think that baseball needs that because people, it's like this magical thing about professional baseball that doesn't exist in the NFL or the NBA. Like it, the extensive minor league system that we have is not the same in other places. 
So I think the more fans understand that, they might even appreciate more when somebody gets to the big leagues. Instead of just like, oh, there's that guy that hits the ball really far, you know. They're like, yeah, there's that guy. I freaking love that guy. He was in the minor leagues for eight years, and he, you know, had Tommy John twice, and he made it back. And, like, they should know these people's stories because they're really phenomenal. Absolutely. The Yankees do that a little bit with the um, the Path to Pinstripes documentaries. They yeah. they go on. They follow Scranton mostly. But yep. you get an idea of who these guys are. And um, what was the name of that Twins pitcher who he made it to the playoffs this year? I think it was uh, Randy Dobnek, who was yeah. he was a minor yeah. leaguer uh, at the start of the season, driving an Uber to make ends meet. And then come the end of the year, he's pitching against the Yankees in Yankee Stadium in the playoffs. Like, that's a hell of a story. And that's yeah, the story and, that yeah. you don't get to hear. There were so many. I think uh, there was a guy, I don't remember who it was. I can picture his face. You probably know Houston Astros, who lived in his car for the longest time. Maybe it was not Houston. I don't remember who it was. The guy who Pitcher was lived in his car for a long time. I don't remember who it was. But was Are you thinking of Evan Gaddis? He was a... I janitor before he before he made Evan it to the Gattis league was the janitor and there was a pitcher so maybe it wasn't the astros but evan gaddis for uh, sure i remember he had a story as well but he had a great story he quit he was out of baseball for a while and came back and i just saw uh, some kind of press release where he quit um he retired i think that's gonna happen a lot you know guys guys making a push for their last year are just gonna be like okay it's a sign i, it. I got <laughs> here yeah the universe is telling me it's done um, yeah, he has a wonderful story. There's another guy who I know has like lived in a van for a long time and I, and his name's escaping me. And there's plenty of people, the minor leagues just like, it brings it out of you. If you, if you do be, if you're a minor league baseball player for more than like three years, you're a resilient person. <laughs> like there's, there's countless stories like that. So, um, yeah, I know, I know Blake does a great job with, uh, path to pinstripes with that. And I wish that was happening more so i'm glad you guys are doing doing this during the downtime i guess with um with no games happening it's awesome yeah really i mean i'm just re-watching old games but you look at you look at the games nowadays and kind of the media coverage and you know they're telling the stories of the major leaguers they're not telling them about the minor leaguers some triple a but down below that you're really not hearing much unless it's a, a huge super prospect per se um, so that's something obviously we'd love to see more of and, um, yeah, we'll definitely take a look around and see, you know, who might be interested in sharing their story. Yeah, absolutely. All right, James, what do you got? What do I got? Um, I definitely wanted to ask you a little more about driveline because that's like their, their Instagram where they put up those, like the skeletons of how your body's moving while you're throwing a pitch. Like that's, it's so, it's so much science. It just doesn't even compute in my head how amazing that is that that can be done. And you can really pinpoint which part of the motion is creating the force that you need to throw the ball an extra 10 miles per hour. Like, I I don't understand how all that works. So I want to understand it. So basically in summary, well, first of all, driveline has some of the most, I mean, there's, there's a guy there named Anthony Brady, who I, I hate to say his name because he's like their secret. I feel like he's their secret weapon, like him and Joe Marsh, like the most brilliant, just phenomenal minds surrounding biomechanics and baseball out there. They've got to be top five or 10 in the world. Um, so I, I would credit them with a lot of like the coding and like the, we call it models that they 
put in to actually generate that in the first place. And then as far as biomechanics goes, it's really just what driveline has that a lot of people don't is a huge sample size. So first of all, there's not a lot of teams that even have a biomechanics lab like that that's able to record that information. But also, like, even if they have the lab, players are just so reluctant to do those things because of the um, heat surrounding, like, wearable technology and getting their measurements taken because what if the team is going to use these against me? And so you come to Driveline, it's this, like, little magical utopia where players pay money to go there to get measured with all of this technology. So I'm so basically the the magic in driveline is that having worked in both professional baseball, like organized baseball, and then at driveline, the players are like it's amazing how my job at driveline was the biomechanics lab, like running the lab, the captures, and every day, like guys walk in first day, never met these guys, and I'm like, hey, welcome to driveline. Now you're gonna strip down till you're almost naked. You're going to put 50 reflective markers all over your body. I'm going to put those markers on you. I'm a girl, and I'm going to stick all these markers on you. And then you're going to get on the mound, and you're going to throw in your underwear as hard as you can. And they're like, okay, great. Let's do it. Right? Because they, they, like, walk in, and they're just, like, they know what driveline is, and they want to do it, where you step right out of driveline, and it's high-level professional players. It's not like just high school kids. Then you step out of driveline, and you go into the professional setting, and these guys get all weird about it because – the organization owns the information and the organization can use that information however they want to and they can use it against the player if they choose to and they know that so driveline has this amazing sample size of high level professional players in a biomechanics lab that are more than willing to do it which means if you have this large sample size you can then go okay we've got let's say a thousand professional players the top hardest throwing players in that group do A, B, C, and D. So now we know, we think we know, right? What biomechanics lead to somebody throwing hard? Because you have this giant sample size of professional players and you're able to, to sift through the data and see what successful players do. So driveline is a really cool place. The beyond just like their, beyond their technology, like you just, the environment is just, <laughs> there's truly nothing like it. Um, I mean, again, my job is like, I turn on the lights in the morning and like, not only is there a state-of-the-art biomechanics lab, but I can tell you nowhere in the world is there a biomechanics lab where we're playing guys walkout songs, like as loud as possible, right? Like, so the guys come in and it's their first day and I'm like, Hey, my name's Rachel. I'm, I'm about to ask you to get naked and put markers on you. So what's your height? What's your, your weight? And Oh, by the way, what's your walk-up song? And they're like, what? And so then I'm like cranking the music, like this, this extremely scientific, extremely expensive, extremely high level biomechanics lab. And we've got like loud gangster rap just thumping in the background so loud that I have to be like, go, you know, like screaming over the music. The environment is electric. I mean, guys just like, that's why people love it. It's like, the people that go there are open-minded. They they're, they want to be almost guinea pigs of, of some kind. Loud music. People are energetic. You know, there's phenomenal coaches that are getting plucked left and right to go be in major league organizations. So I really can't say enough of that, about that place. I can't say enough about Kyle Bodie, who is the founder, who just 
ran straight through the brick wall, you know, and broke every rule and now had his had his pick of major league jobs. So beyond cool. Was that a good description? He's with the Reds, right? He went to Cincinnati. Yeah. yeah. Yep. James isn't mentioning it, but he's super pumped right now. That was like the question he was, was most awesome. looking forward to asking about. That yeah. was awesome. It's everything you think it is. It's just, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's like there's pros and cons to every place. But when I look back on my career, I've been a lot of different places. When I look back on my career, there's some places that stand out. And Driveline is definitely one of them. It's very, very unique. Very unique. All right, Allison, what, what do you have left? And then we'll start asking some of the fun questions we had prepared. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, yes. Um, so we, we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but was there kind of like a moment when you just realized that this is what you wanted to do? Like, was there just like that that thing that made you want to do what you're doing? You mean being a hitting coach or being in professional baseball in general? I would say actually being a hitting coach. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, there was winter meetings three years ago, Washington, D.C. I don't know what I think it was three years ago. I sat on a panel, a diversity panel, and it was me and Kim Ng and uh, Farhan Zaidi and Oz Campo and a few other people. So like Kim Ng, just giant in the industry and Farhan. And they put me on the panel because I'm a girl. But at winter meetings, like, and again, I, the baseball audience is probably listening to this, but for people who don't know, it's like winter meetings is business mostly. It's not the coaches. It's mostly like scouts and front office people that are attending this. But MLB asked me to stay past the strength and conditioning meetings, which were before, and be on this diversity panel. So I'm a strength coach up there with like, you know, general manager, assistant general manager, farm director, like all these people that sit in offices. So I'm on the panel and it was like this young people's panel. There's like 50 probably job seekers in the room that are asking questions about how to get into baseball. And I wasn't getting asked any questions because I'm a strength coach and nobody in the room wanted to be a strength coach. And they're asking all these questions. And I'm like, well, I could answer this, but they don't want to hear my opinion. They want to hear Farhan Zaidi's opinion, the general manager for the Los Angeles Dodgers at the time. So finally, I just got so, I was halfway through the panel, I had to set a peep, and I'm just like, why am I even up here? So I said, um, I, the kid asked the question, I'll never forget, he goes, uh, Farhan, what, what are uh, general managers looking for on a resume when uh, they're looking for someone to hire? And like, I stole the mic from Farhan. I was like, uh, excuse me, Farhan, can I take this one? And he like looked at me like, are you, okay, girls, I like take the mic. I'm like, look, all these people up here are looking for the, the same thing that everyone's looking for. They're looking for people who are going to do what other people aren't willing to do, work hard, the people that have a diverse resume, the people that are willing to take jobs that are, are, you know, perceived to be beneath them. And I went on this, like this speech, you know, it was like the, I have a dream speech. I just went on a speech and I just like, and then I was like, I turned to Farhan. I was like, do you want to add? And he was like, Nope, Nope. You, you know, so I'm saying all that to say, get done with the panel. Everyone's kind of leaving. And Farhan comes up to me, mind you again, Los Angeles Dodgers general manager. And he's like, Hey, uh, he's like, Hey, I, I really want to keep in touch, you know, take, take down my number. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I'll take, I'm like, you know, one of those times I'm like, yeah, okay. I'll take down your number. Cool. I texted him. I'm like, I'm never going to talk to that guy again. Like whatever. So 
we leave and he texts me. He's like, hey, what, you know, I really want to meet up. What? And I'm like, I'm thinking like, why does this guy want to talk to me? Like, what's going on here? And I finally just like late in the night, I, we ended up meeting up in the lobby. Again, I, I'm just trying to paint a picture for the listeners. Like, this is a general manager. You don't like get time from general managers in winter meetings. They're so busy. They got stuff to, to do. I'm still confused and we I show up and like basically he just interviewed me in the lobby and I just was like what he was like so uh he was like basically what do you want to do with your life you know he was asking me all these questions and I'm answering and he just looked me straight and he looked straight into my soul and he goes have you ever thought about being in the front office before and I just in that moment I go yes I have and then in my head, of course, I was like, have I thought about being in the front office? Like, I'm like, I just, I just blurted it out. You know, I was like, yeah, I have Farhan. Like I have. And I, I just, it occurred to me in that moment because he was asking me all these questions about culture and how I would do this with scouting and how I would do this. And I'm like, why is this general manager asking this strength coach about organizational leadership and culture? And he just, he planted the seed. But as soon as he said it, I was like, oh my God, I do, like, that's what I want to do, really. And so it was kind of one of those things where once you see it, you can't unsee it. You know, I was like, oh, okay. I left and I went and did my job that next season as a, I think it was still Latin American coordinator for strength and conditioning. But I just couldn't get out of my, out of my mind. And then I kind of snowballed and got larger and larger and I decided to quit and go back to school. And really the like long-term plan is to probably to be in a leadership position of some kind in the front office. But I mean, don't get twisted. I got plenty to learn as a hitting coach. So, you know, I'm not going anywhere, but I think the landscape of my future is still uncertain, but I do think, you know, that, that leadership bug or that, that wanting to do that is definitely there. And so I can, I mean, I tell Farhan now, I'm like, you start, you, you screwed me. You started, he sparked the fire. I couldn't not think about it after that. So I'll say that was the beginning of it, which was kind of a fun story within itself because I got to connect with him and he's a very, very cool guy. Super, just absolute visionary. So be fun to watch what he does in San Francisco. Oh, hopefully we get to hold on to you with the Yankees while that journey's going on. But uh, all right, so we'll ask you some fun questions, and then we'll let you get out of here. Uh, number hey, one. I just want to say before you start these, because I just talked about Farhan. Um, Kevin Reese, our farm director, awesome. Cashman, awesome. Like, just so fun. The, being with the Yankees has been a – it's been different than any other organization I've been in, and they're just, like, these kind of gritty, like, old school people with an edge and it's just been a blast. So, I mean, as I was just talking about Farhan, I thought I would just, you know, be sure to mention (laughs) I don't want to go old school with an edge. I love it. Yeah. Old school with an edge, right? Like this fight, you know, they're old school, but like, don't, don't step to me. Cause you know, (laughs) so it's, it's been a blast to learn from them so far. And like I said, I, have plenty of work to do right here. So uh, I'm not going anywhere soon, I don't think, or I hope not. That's fantastic. Okay, well, the first question that we've asked every single first-time guest we've had on, uh, are you a bat flip person or an unwritten rules person? Bat flip. There we go. (laughs) Yeah, everyone said bat flip so far. We're still waiting for one person to say unwritten rules. I don't really know how we're going to react because Allison and I are both big time bat flip people. Bat flip. 
Now, did you ever do a bat flip when you played? Well, that was the other question. Did you ever hit home runs and stuff? I didn't look up your college stats, so I don't know what kind of hitter you were, but. No, that's a, that was a rabbit hole. He didn't go down, but I had the yips in college. Like I'm in the yips hall of fame, like the worst yips ever. So my playing time was, I was pretty lackluster, uh, player from a stat standpoint. Um, but I definitely had a lot of power. I definitely was a long ball hitter. Like I was definitely an athlete that had the ability to do that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm all for the bat flip. I love it. I think we need more of it. I think we need less golf clapping and more bat flipping. Absolutely. Fantastic. Uh, okay. So we have a bit of a character that we've been creating over the past few weeks, uh, ever since we learned about what Yankees Facebook is, because we're, we're more Yankees Twitter people, which is a whole thing on its own. But Yankees Facebook is where all of the really, really, truly terrible takes just emerge. And they, it's all in the comments section. It's all John Carlos Stanton should return all his money. And Gary Sanchez is the worst baseball player I've ever seen. All of those takes that are not worth anything. Got it. What would you say to the Facebook bobs of the world who think that advanced technology is ruining the game of baseball? Well, I would say that's why they're Facebook bobs because they have that opinion. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and I would also say, have you read the book Moneyball before? <laughs> or... I haven't read the book, but I did see the movie and it yeah. was excellent. I'm not much of a book reader. I think, uh, I think that, you know, the dinosaurs of the world be will become extinct. And, um, I don't, I just don't see any other way than technology being a, a huge part of it. So, uh, yeah, Facebook Bob live on. Keep writing those comments. All right, batting um, a thousand so far on these questions. <laughs> and speaking of books, I know you talked a little bit about books you've read, books you're planning to read. Do you have like a specific favorite baseball book that you would recommend people to read? I mean, I would say Moneyball, and it's kind of cliche, but if you read the book, like the the movie is very good, it's very well done. But if you read the book, it really is like it's amazing how much we take for granted these days that was like mind-blowing you know when Billy Bean was first doing it and then you see like I I mean I read it when I was first getting into baseball this is maybe a good do you have how many more questions do you have because I have a little anecdote about that <laughs> I mean yeah, really, I, I just, I just have, have one, one more after this okay I think so, it's the same question yeah uh 2010 so we're talking about 10 years ago I was in my master's degree at LSU and I saw the book Moneyball on my professor's shelf and I was wanting to get into professional baseball at that time. And I, I said, Hey, do you mind if I, if I borrow that book? I want to get into professional baseball. And he said, doing what? And I said, well, I want to be a strength coach in professional baseball. And he said, Oh yeah, well you just have to get a sex change. And I was like, cool. So can I borrow the book or <laughs> I was like, man. So I borrowed the book anyway, even though that comment may be upset and I read it and I, I liked it. You know, I kind of, I think I got bored or confused in some parts and now I just read it again this winter time and I cried. Like I, I just, you think about Billy Bean at that time and like all of these conversations he was having to have and fighting for what he, he believed in. And he really was this absolute visionary and everyone's really copying, you know, what he started. 
way back when Jeff Luno took took it to the max with the Astros, even though I know there's some controversy around it. But, you know, so, I mean, I think Moneyball is not really just about baseball. It's about anyone who is busting through a brick wall or doing something different. And I mean, I personally related to Billy Bean in that book now, 10 years later, having gone through what I've gone through. So I think it's a phenomenal story of, of being an innovator. Yeah, I haven't read the book. I've definitely seen the movie, but I'm always looking for new baseball books to read. My all-time favorite baseball book is more of like a self, like a memoir, I guess. Um, it's called Baseball Life Advice. So if you ever look that up, great, great book. It's written, I don't remember the author, but she writes for the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, really phenomenal book. So that's something to look into too. Great. Um, but final question, I think this is the same one you have, James. Um, but obviously, you know, you're female in the male driven industry. What sort of advice would you give to young women who are, um, striving for the same type of goal that you had? Mm, um, so many things, but two I'll focus on one is, um, you know, my mom always said life's not fair, you know? And so really what she meant is like, look, it's not fair. So what? Like, does it matter? No. So either you choose a different profession or you understand that you're going into uncharted waters. And I fully understood that pretty quickly. And I just was like, all right, like I'm going to have to go through some shit and I could regale you with many stories of how it's been difficult and how I haven't been treated fairly or there hasn't been women's restrooms or there, ha you know, and, or I've been blatantly discriminated against and I could have gone taken legal action and took to Twitter and been all upset about it. But it's like, look, if you're breaking a barrier, you're doing anything that's different, you're going to have to take your lumps. And it's like, somebody's got to do it. So I just think about Jackie Robinson. I mean, the guy freaking, just because he signed the paper to be in the in the big leagues does not mean that it was Rosen. In fact, his first season, the, his own, own team, think about this, listeners, his own team signed a petition and sent it to Branch Rickey to say that they weren't going to play with him if he was on the major league roster. And Branch Rickey told the team to shove it luckily so that and like he joined a team of of men who literally like didn't want to play with him because of his race so he took a lot of lumps like his career was not easy if you read his book is phenomenal he says how how hard it was like how horrible emotionally it was for him during his career like everyone thinks of Jackie Robinson with this smile on his face and this like you know esoteric loving character but he went through a lot of shit so if you, as a young woman getting into a male-dominated industry, it's not going to be easy, but who cares, number one. And number two, you should take pride in the fact that you're having to take a harder path, and that harder path will make you better in the long run. I'm so glad that I had to do extra internships and extra things because, man, my resume is just untouchable. <laughs> now, if you knew why my resume was untouchable because I was discriminated against or it was harder for me to get a job, well, that's not as good of a story. But, like, you look at my resume, and it's phenomenal – and I don't regret that. I'm happy for that. I'm happy for the struggle. It made me better as a person. It made me better literally in my career. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like sometimes I look at, at men and I'm like, oh, wow, it sucks for you. You weren't discriminated against. Wow. Like your, your path was so easy. And as a result of it, you're not as good as me, period. So that's one thing. Second thing is empathy. Just, you know, it's kind of, kind of what I just touched on. But like, look, if a mom is living in a house with a husband and three sons and she and the seat is up 
and they are discrimin discriminated against her and they don't think that she belongs in the house. No, it's because they don't think about it. They leave the seat up, okay? You walk into the bathroom, you put the seat down. It's not that big a deal. It's like, okay, look, it's not because they hate you. It's because it's change. This is change for everyone. For me, for you guys, for the entire world, this is how people handle change. It's different. So metaphorically, I just have to put the seat down and not be mad about it. Like, I just have to be like, well, he's never had to deal with a woman as a coach. So maybe he's acting a little weird. Maybe he's not respecting me as much as I air quotes deserve, you know, because who deserves anything? You should always have to earn it. But like, that's fine, you know, and I'm willing to, to do the extra to gain people's respect and just let them get adjusted to me. And I have to have more empathy than I had when I first got in. And that's definitely something I would pass on to younger women who are getting into a male dominated, dominated industry is like, look, have a little empathy. Nobody likes change. But it just so happens that now I'm the change. So it's like the, the backlash is directed at me. And so sometimes that's hard. But I'm, I try to have empathy as much as possible. And I definitely have more now than I did when I was first getting in and just understanding. So. Well, that's, that's awesome. definitely a great note to end on. <laughs> uh, Rachel, thank you so much for doing this. This was an awesome interview for us to get to know you a little bit. Uh, I'm sure our listeners are going to really enjoy it. Uh, if they want to go ahead and maybe donate to people who are struggling with the coronavirus, yeah. where can they go? Uh, right now, the, every single day that we're on a break from baseball, I'm donating $5 of my own money. So weekly, I, date, I donate $35, and I've just invited anyone who can, whether that's $5 or $1, it doesn't matter that everything helps. I have a link in my Twitter bio and my Instagram bio that goes directly to my own GoFundMe. So first week, we donated like, 1700 to a food bank last week was 500 to medical supplies we've already got 600 this week and it's wednesday so just i'm just inviting anyone if you don't know where to give you're overwhelmed you don't know which charity to pick let me do the work throw in five bucks and i'll i'll get it to where it needs to go but i just feel deeply that we all have to come together in this time fantastic all right well again thank you so much for doing this and allison you have any last note no that was great. Thank you so much, Rachel. We really appreciate it. And it was great to get to know you. And hopefully some of our other fans will get to know you as well. So we love it. We're excited to see you out there. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. 